Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining us for another episode of Highlighting Greatness with Fasayo. I'm uh, excited to have uh, this next guest on. She is someone that I've known now for hey, 15 years or yeah. so when we first day. met. Yeah, yeah we, um, we met at UT some 15 plus years ago or so. And um, have kept in touch here and there over the years, um, but recently just um, reconnected and 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 caught up a little bit. And I'm like, oh my god, I, I really need to get her on the podcast. I think uh, she has an amazing story. Not I think she does have an amazing story, her journey, and um, can't wait to get into it. Um, everyone, Wumi Bakare. Thank you. That was such a a really kind. Um, introduction. Um, is my story interesting? I would say it's it's been a roller coaster ride of ups and downs, but um, yeah, I think I think that's life, right? What makes life really amazing is that you're never really plateaued. You know, you have peaks and then you have dips, and you know you kind of learn lessons as you go along. But I'm really I'm proud of you for making the transition from pharmacy to, to having your own podcast. And I'm incredibly honored that you deemed me worthy to be on this. Um, no, thank you so much. Having you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, again, we, we've, we, we met at UT. We weren't like super close there, but we were friends. We were in the midst of the same, like, you know, we had some, you know, friends in common. We were both Part of ASA, this and that, mm -hmm. but um, definitely have seen a little bit of you know your journey and your um, story played out over the years, mainly through Facebook and things like that. Um, and I I've reached out to you here and there just to just to say hey, how's it going, this and that. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, it's it's an honor to have you on, really. Um, so why don't we why don't we start there? Why don't you start out telling us telling the people. Um, I guess a little bit about yourself, um, okay. your your background, and you know, childhood or whatever, you know, okay. just to give us more insight into you. Okay, so um, as you said, my name is Wumi. Um, I am a born and bred um, Lagosian. I'm Nigerian, born and bred in Lagos. Came to the U.S. at, I think I had just turned 16 when I came to, to University of Texas at Austin for college. Um, straight out of... You missed it, Wilmy. You missed it. Come on. You can't say it without throwing the horns up. <laughs> oh, hook em horns. Sorry. <laughs> hook Sorry, em. I didn't mean to miss that. Hook em horns all day, all, every day. I will forever day. be a horn. But... <laughs> yeah, so I came in 2004 for college. I was 16 at the time. I went to QC, which is a very known um, secondary school in Nigeria. It's one of the very competitive federal government colleges that's still really good. Um, a couple of our friends, Kekbo, Tulsin, they all went there, Dami Babatola. Um, we um, were alums of that school. And so I think the transition from a really competitive um, secondary school to a very competitive university kind of made sense for, for us. Um, like the, the, the typical Nigerian, I was um, pre-med in college, freshman, sophomore, and a tinge, like my first semester of my junior year. And then um, 
Unfortunately, I was diagnosed with um, um, sickle cell anemia, HBSS, which is the most severe type of sickle cell disease uh, at 18 months. So when I came, my, my, I think from when I was a kid, my overall goal was always to find a cure for sickle cell or at least get close to finding a cure. So that was kind of the fire, the fuel behind me wanting to do pre-med. But unfortunately, you are an alum of UT, so you know this firsthand. UT humbles you because you are competing with the best of the best, regardless of race, creed, sex. Everyone in there is the best and the brightest from the globe. So when you go there, if you go in thinking I'm incredibly, I'm a, I'm a child prodigy, I'm incredibly smart. I think your, your freshman year is when you realize I thought I was smart, but I've met right. people who can definitely top me in, mm -hmm. in different realms. So I, I was pre-med and then I kind of, um, my, my disease and my, career goals didn't align. I noticed that I was missing a lot of class. I would always be in hospital. I think I've been, I've always been very good at hiding where even when I'm at my sickest or my weakest, a lot of people tend not to notice. So for the most part in being pre-med, um, I loved it, but it got to a point where I was doing really poorly in school. And that was just because I couldn't keep up with everything I was trying to do. So my sophomore year of college, I started to struggle with my health. Um, amongst other things, I was also doing a lot of extracurricular activities. I, at the time, I was handling PR for ASA. I had a job with the Center for African and African American Studies. I was with the Black Students Advice. Like, I just had a lot on my plate and everything coupled with my health. It just didn't work out. And I remember having that really difficult conversation um, with my mom and dad. And it was, I remember it vividly because it was right before Christmas break. And I basically had that phone call and I was like, um, how else can I say this? I'm failing. And I don't wow. know if I can continue as pre-med. And my academic advisor has called me from natural sciences asking that I transition to another college because my oh, grades wow. aren't um, sufficing, I guess, for the major I had chosen, which at the time was um, biology. And my dad, it, it, I literally think he was like, he, he froze in time because he didn't, he didn't respond. But what my mom said that really stuck with me and I always, in every interview I've done, every conversation I have, I say, oh, a lot of who I am now and the decision I made to my mom. My mom literally said, I'm not gonna lie to you. That's too much personality to hide behind a lab coat. And at the time, I didn't really ne necessarily understand what she meant. And I was like, what do you mean by that? And she's like, have you met you? She's like, as a kid, you've always been a phenomenal writer. I always saw you more in journalism. Like, even when you were a child, you'd be, you know, like, all, like, like, um, hosting the the, the troll pillows because I would I was I was always a huge fan of like Oprah Winfrey so I would watch Oprah I would watch the Tyra Banks show um and I would be talking like I would be literally talking to the troll pillows like they were like my guest audience but it was just something I did as a kid it's kind of like the way people pick up like a microphone and they sing or they play an instrument so I just always thought it was a hobby it what it couldn't be done professionally and my mom was like yeah you just there's just so much personality to hide behind that white doctor's lab coat so and I was like but you know and I, I remember that I, I remember this so well because I was in tears and I was like but mom like 
where do I go from here? All I've ever known is biology, physics, and chemistry. Like, what else will I ever be good in? Like, what college am I even going to transition to? And she said, have you considered journalism? And I was like, journalism? From where to where? And my dad, typical Yoruba man, was like, <laughs> good. I'm sorry, what? The goal for her was, was medicine, you know, because my older brother is an electrical engineer. My dad's a civil engineer. And my mom was basically like, well, my dad made me do something. I wanted to be a teacher. And my dad was like, what are you going to do with that? And then I did an MBA. And am I doing anything with that now? Not necessarily. So I had to forfeit my dream to please my parents. And I don't want my child to, to make the same mistake. So let her, I think you'd be great at journalism. I think you're a natural writer. Take a class, see how you like it. And then we'll, we'll go from there. So that was easy because at the time, um, I didn't know what PR was. I hadn't heard of PR. All I knew was my mom said, take journalism. So as, I, as soon as I registered for journalism, it was almost like, like a recommendation to do like an intro to PR and then an intro to advertising. And I was like, I mean, I'm always been good at branding. Like I'm the kind of person I would walk into a store and I would critique each aisle. I would be like, well, this product placement. And I just did that naturally. It wasn't like I ever studied this. So I was like, well, if my mom thinks I'm a good writer, then I guess these other classes kind of follow along. That was kind of how I discovered PR. My very first PR class that semester, something really crazy happened where the professor that was supposed to teach it, his wife got ill. So instead, our vice president of public affairs for the University of Texas taught the class that semester. And that was how I got my very first job in PR. So till I graduated, I was a feature writer and editor for the entire university. So everything you saw on our website, I either wrote or I edited. So it's just interesting the way life pans out because it was an intro to PR class. I knew no idea. I didn't know PR was born from marketing. If marketing, advertising, and journalism had a threesome, that would be <laughs> PR in essence. So it literally, it, it, it played to my strengths of what I was naturally good at. I've always believed in the power of human connection, which is why I thought I would be incredibly gifted in, in the field of science, because I was like, I would be that doctor that has good bedside manner because I genuinely love to get to know people. I'm super empathetic. But I think in, in trying my hand at PR and, and seeing that like I didn't need to study, I didn't need to cram, I didn't need to bend over backwards to succeed in this, I was like, mom, I, I think you were onto something. And I remember my, my poor dad was like, okay, can you do PR and then like minor in biology? Like this, I don't understand how you're just gonna let two, two years of, of pre-med go down this we can't get back. You know, and my mom was just kind of like, she'll figure it out. You know, she just, I don't know, it, it was weird because now I'm grateful, but then I almost thought to myself, did she smoke something? How is she? supporting this this dream that came out of nowhere but i think as a parent you start noticing certain traits when your kids are really young and you just it's a matter of like do you cultivate those traits or do you just say no do what i want you to do instead so that was kind of how i got my start um in pr working for i mean hold on let me let me let me let me interject because there's there's a whole lot that uh <laughs> that we can that we can there there are a lot of little threads that we can pull on and um and and ask a lot of questions from there um one obviously i was in the same 
we we walk the same shoes in a lot of these things from being at UT together, being your pre-med, I was pre-farm biology. Um, like you said, it definitely humbles you, right? Um, coming in, you know, um, back in the day, there was this top 10% rule uh, that if you're in the top 10% of your high school class, if you're, gra you're graduating high school class, you automatically got accepted into any Texas public school. And so I was top 10. I got into UT, you know, coming from where, you know, my my little high school here in, uh, in, in, in Houston, where, you know, I was one of the top 10 smart, quote unquote, people. But then you come here with people from all over the world, like you mentioned, right? Amazing, brilliant people, you know, and um, it's, there's so much. You know, it's it's a it's a whole new like for me. Even you came here from Nigeria, so I can't imagine the transition from for you. But for me, even just from being here, leaving my parents' house in Houston and going off to Austin to live on my own for the first time in this city, this awesome school, got number one party school that year, like all of this stuff. It was a entire different, you know it's 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 night and day you know and so um you're you're in there with um and I, I remember of course you know that that struggle because it just booms <laughs> smacks you yeah it smacks you in the face you know um because it's not a joke you can't you can't go in with the same with the same things that for me got me through high school, just, you know, glancing through whatever, some material, you know, a day before a test, some hours before a test, being able to memorize that and then go regurgitate it on a test that wasn't good enough anymore, you know? And so, and then on top of that, being adventurous and, you know, partying and, you know, getting into <laughs> different things and just having fun as a, you know, living your best life as a college, college student now, you know, going to games and Sixth Street and all of that, you know, was, um, so I also failed <laughs> and got these in a lot of my classes. Um, it, it, it yeah, it, it's, it's a humbling experience. I understand that very, very well. Whereas with you, you actually kind of have excuses as to maybe, <laughs> you know, you were, in hospitals, you were struggling, you know, you didn't have the, you know, you were struggling with health issues. Mm -hmm. I was struggling with adjusting more so. Um, and so I understand that. And, and like I shared with you uh, when we were talking about this yesterday, I also, I also thought about switching into journalism because I'm like, well, what do I like to do? I like to talk, right? I like to talk to people. Um, and I mean, whatever, here we are now, however many years later. Yeah. But I, I think it's awesome. So for, for those who don't understand the push as a Nigerian, and, and you made reference to this earlier, to go into what, what, what are our typical Nigerian occupations that our parents push us to? Nigerian parents advocate for the sciences and not so much the arts. I think the only thing that I wouldn't even classify as 
in the realm of art is more commercial, which is if you do like a business degree or you do accounting or finance or investment banking or law. Yeah. Right. Because then their only definition of success is either medicine, pharmacy, um, engineering, yes. you know what I mean? Petroleum engineering, civil engineering, electrical, mechanical. Um, yeah, if you do things like geology, questionable. If you do physics, okay, what are you going to do with that? If you do math, again, what are you going to do with that? So they push us in the direction of the sciences because there's a proven track record of when yeah. you do those really difficult degrees, you will never be broke. You might be right. a lot of debt, student loan debt, but you won't be broke because for the most part, um, when you eventually kind of um, reach the peak of your career, you'd be making so much financially that as parents, they don't have to worry. So that's the mindset. But as children, it doesn't feel like that. Instead, it feels like you are in the passenger seat of your life and your career and your parents are in the driver's seat for a lot of yeah. us. Um, just like you, I think for me, assimilation was the hardest because I'm struggling to adopt an accent that isn't naturally mine. I'm struggling to, at the time, I remember in Newton, we were only 4% Black. So for the most part, you did that Black nod, but you couldn't really decipher, is this person African-American? Is this person from the Caribbean or Afro-Caribbean or are they African? But we all kind of knew who the other person was. You might not know first name, last name, but there was that facial recognition of like, oh, I know who this person is. I know who they hang out with. So UT is, but the beauty of UT is that that is the one university that I've seen that every race had a fraternity and sorority. I have never seen any university, whether it be Yale, Princeton, Dartmouth, where you just see a fusion of cultures. We had Latino sororities and fraternities. We had Asian American, we had Indian, where I was just kind of like, everyone is represented here. But the beauty of that melting pot is it's also incredibly competitive. So for me, I know that because I'm Nigerian, I was raised to believe in this. And I've been saying this since as far back as I was taught to recite it, which is excuses are tools used by the incompetent. Incompetent. Who, who, yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's something that like even- And those that dwell in them shall amount to nothingness, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and it was just one of those things where like, even with my health stuff, I didn't, I wasn't conscious of the fact that that was a limitation. For me, it was always, I've had sickle cell and I've still been at the, the very best. So why is this any different? Even though I'm in a foreign country where I'm in a state where I know absolutely no one. You know, I didn't have, yeah. when I came to college, I came on that flight by myself. My mom didn't come. My dad didn't come. When I went to, the very first time I went to a grocery store, I remember I took a traveler's check because that's all my parents gave me from Nigeria. They, I didn't have a bank. I didn't have a debit card or a credit card. I didn't even know what that process was like. Everything was shell shock. But even with all of those things, I still didn't. Um, I remember when I failed pre-med, and now today I can say this confidently, there were moments where I walked around with so much shame because even when I would run into people that like, we were in the same classes together and they're like, hey, I haven't seen you in a minute. Where were you? There's the, sh there's the inner shame you feel of, wow, this person is kind of like, 
I really thought, you know what I mean? Like we would be graduating together in this field. Now I'm having to add an extra year, which took, you know, my parents let me know I, that extra year was going to cost them more money. But at the same time, there was a lot of shame with that. So I think, I think now I'm out of place, but I say all this because I know that there are so many people in their career who aren't fulfilled. And I think because we're both Nigerian, we understand this to a much deeper level. I have a cousin who is a fantastic entertainment blogger. He's been doing it since before Instagram and YouTube, when there was like the, you know, like popular African-American blogs like Nicole Bitchy. That was when he started blogging. But because his parents are doctors, they've always kind of advised. So he's always stayed on that narrow path. He's done consulting for PwC and like really big fortune 500 companies and now he got to a point where he was just kind of like this cannot be my life my yeah. life can't be every day i'm i'm a copywriter and i like every time i'm going to work i'm like jesus i hope this building will just burn down to the ground <laughs> but it doesn't happen so it's hard i would say it's hard to segue and switch majors it sounds when i when i tell the story now it sounds cool but experiencing it firsthand, it there were a lot of tears. I I can relate to that, you know, feeling of shame because, like I shared with you, I was in um, a program at UT, Texas Interdisciplinary Plan or Program, or whatever, where we were uh, basically a bunch of students that were on the same track, whether it was pre med, pre farm. We we had the same classes, and we were going to be taking the same classes each semester together, you know? And so after I failed, <laughs> like I was behind. Now they are moving on. And these are, you know, it's a very small, it was a smaller knit uh, kind of group, mm -hmm. you know, for us, um, that was a, that, that I guess part of the purpose of it was so that we don't necessarily get so um, overwhelmed in the larger classes or feel like we don't we don't have the support structure in the larger 400 person plus classes that you know some others you know other students were having to take um and so it was supposed to create this kind of niche group where you're kind of you know all going together and so not you know not being able to continue with them uh, it, it definitely i definitely felt felt some type of way um i think what's amazing about your story and what's it, it, on, on one hand is baffling because i know why but then on the other hand hearing that your mom was actually the one who um who who encouraged you to get into to get into journalism and was able to say hey look you can't like there's too much personality of you to just do this stock thing that we think you should go into that you know uh for whatever reason so, you know society right has this pre-formulated thing for you and i'm sure that's what you were trying to fit into right um but the fact that it was also your your mom a parent that gave you the 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 the, the strength and the idea and the and the the kind of know-how to say hey you 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 would be a great writer you've always been you know <laughs> dreaming of, of 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 hosting a talk show doing this doing that and you you know um 
So I think that's amazing. I think that's absolutely amazing that she was able to to do that for you because you don't really hear that a lot. No, you don't, especially among Nigerians. Yeah, what you hear is the the friction, right? The friction of, oh, what do you mean you don't want to do this? You, we've after we've spent all this money on you, blah 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 blah. Like this is what you should do, blah. Why don't you just go and try again, try again, try again? Now? And so, um, kudos to to your mom for that. Absolutely, I think that that's amazing because that you know that is something you, that you, we don't see a lot. You know, um, parents that are able to say, "Hey, I think you would be good at this. I've seen you do this, or I've seen you from the time you were a child, and this is kind of how you naturally gravitate." You know, because even for me, um, <laughs> pharmacy and all of this stuff is what I went into because that was the 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 expectation. You know, but for the longest, I've been, I mean, growing up, my nickname as a child was Professor. Mm. Everyone would call me Professor. You know, I'm like six and that's what people call me to this day, you know. Um, and now I'm seeing it because I do have a passion for teaching. I do have, a I love to speak. I love to teach, I, you know, um, and, and that's something that I want to get into later on, you know, uh, down the line. But, you know, they, they didn't, it's, it's, it's great that your mom was able to push you in the route that she saw your strength, you know, and, and then you began flourishing. So from the, you, you talked about getting your first job or how the professor that was supposed to teach this PR class um, wasn't able to. And so someone else stepped in. Yeah, our vice president of um, public affairs taught the class at the time. But um, my, so PR for me is not a straight word, is what I always like to, to tell people as well. Um, it's not a straight what? It's not a straight road, right? Okay. So to get into our PR program at UT, I don't know if you know this, but we're top five in the country. Oh, wow. Top 15 in the world. So was it that, was it ranked that, that well at, uh, at, at the time? Yes. Yeah. Everyone in our advertising program either got, if they got jobs with um, agencies, it was like Nike, um, Coca-Cola, oh. brands that like are household names. They've been in the business for years. So right. our advertising class, I remember that was kind of how me and um, Mustafa became, I don't know if you remember Mustafa, he was from Mali. Um, he was in the but Mustafa and I were similar paths. We both started as science majors and then transitioned into the College of Communications. And we had this advertising class, um, Advertising 318, I can't forget it. In that class, if you don't make a B or better, you can't get into the College of Communications, especially if you're going for PR or advertising, you cannot get in. And it's one of those classes that I remember, he's a professor that he, for the rest of your life, you never get him out of your brain. That's how much he makes an imprint on your life. And the first day of class, he said, look around you. Right now on this, in this class, you're about 260 students. By week two, you will drop to about 130. And by week four, you will drop to about 75. And when he said that, like everybody's looking at him like, how are people just gonna drop? Like, why are you saying as if I, you know? And he said, I also wanna say this. On the days that things are due, things are due. You can turn it in ahead of time, but you can't turn it in late. 
If your mom dies one minute before the deadline, I do not care. If you have an accident or you are in a plane and it crashes and you survive third degree burns, I do not care. When he said that, at the time it was so jarring and jolting that like everyone was like, this guy is crazy. And in his ranking, like everyone in the class was like, he's the one professor. If you miss a class, you might as well not take the test because you're going to fail. Because his classes were very descriptive where he'll say on page 235, di um, um, the advert on, you know, like the, the, the bottom half of the page, what was the ad about? So you literally needed to have either a photographic memory or the ability to hear and store. So I remember the very first semester I took that class, we had our first project due and just like sickle cell to show, sickle cell is like that one invisible disability that shows up when you least expect it and don't need it. And I remember I was like stressed. I was like, I have to do this thing. I put all my talent into it. We had to make an ad for a product, a brand of cereal, create your own brand and cereal, create the tagline, what you want it to do, how you want to sell it, a brand ambassador, everything. I did it to the nines. I was, I think I worked on that thing till about 10 p.m. at night. It was due the next morning at eight. At 1 a.m., I woke up with a pain crisis, immediately got into a yellow cab, got rushed to the ER. At the ER, they're like trying to put oxygen. They're like, we're going to give you these pain medications. I was like, give me the one dose and hold everything because I don't want to fall asleep. I need to turn in this project. My crisis was so bad. I was having a blood exchange. So they were bleeding me out of one hand and putting in blood through another hand. Right. My phoned my professor to say I have my patient she won't let us take care of her because she's so worried that she needs to turn into this thing and my professor literally told my doctor on the phone do not care if she doesn't turn it in tell her to drop my class so my doctor is like you know you need to report this professor he's a CICK he's <laughs> Moved. And I'm looking at my, my, my hematologist like, oh, my life is so screwed. And I remember I got out of the hospital. I went to the teaching assistant and she's like, I'll be, I'll be straight with you. If you've missed that first project, it's 15% of your total grade. That means you only have 5% to make between an 80 and an 85%. That means everything else going on for the rest of the semester, you damn near need to get like 98 to 100 to make that be. I yeah. would suggest he drop this class. And that was what I had to do. Because the truth of the matter was, based on how his, the very first exam, the very first test was, I, rec I, really, I, I quickly recognized I needed to bring a tape recorder to class. Because I didn't, my brain didn't capture things as quickly as I needed it to, to be able to pass this guy's class. So I Q-dropped it. A second semester, Fisayo, I took this class. I had, listen to the grade, listen to the grade. I had a 97, sorry, no, I had a 79.45. Oh. Any human being, if you round up, a 79.45 is a 79.5. And if you round up, that's an 80, that's a B. <laughs> he, I sent him an email and I basically said, I've spoken to the teaching assistant and asked her to regrade two of my projects so I can get bonus points that would take me to that 80. He sent me an email back and said, I'll see you next semester, and then you can slay the devil. That was his response. His email response. <laughs> oh, my God. He did not round up my 79.45. Wow. 
at the time, I didn't know the rule for the College of Communications was if you took that class more than twice, it's, it just it basically, in essence, what they're telling you is it means you're just not that bright. It's not for you. PR and advertising are just not for you. Wow. So you dropped it the first time, got a 79.4. told me to come back and take it again. So I registered for the class. The day the class started, all of a sudden I noticed I was dropped. So I went to the College of Communication and I'm like, I need to see the dean. Like I've registered for this class and it keeps dropping me out. And the lady is like, you've taken it twice. And I was like, no, I didn't. I took it the one time, but a Q dropped it. And she's like, well, a Q drop counts as you took it. But you oh, wow. it. So she's like, you've, you've, you've done your two tries. You can't do it again. Fesaya, when I tell you, I sat in front of this man's office on the ground in tears for an hour. He gets to the door, sees me crying, and is like, what's, what is this? And I'm like, remember me? I was the one that emailed you. You told me to come back again and slay the devil. I'm here to slay the devil. They won't let me. And he's like, I'm like, you know, the first time I Q dropped it, you remember my doctor called you because I was, and he's like, oh, well, then you've missed your opportunities. Then good luck with whatever you decide to do with your life. 